Welcome to Verging on Greatness, a podcast about films that verge on greatness, but mostly just wallow in mediocrity, with your hosts, Mike Porkfeld and Craig Cerventi. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Arr, yeah. Is it international talk like a pirate there? <laughs> no. Yar. No, well, it is, it is today, 12th of January. It's Pirate Day. <laughs> Hello. Um... <laughs> This is, We're off to a great uh, start. This is Mike and Craig. Uh, mm. We're here to talk on a podcast called Verging on Greatness, which is a podcast Verging where on greatness. we talk about movies that are not quite there. They're really good. They're most of the way there, but you walk out and you go, something didn't quite land with that one. And sometimes, today, sometimes they're really good. Yeah. Sometimes they're just shit. Sometimes they're close, yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> through, after, through talking about it, we sometimes discover that actually we were wrong. This movie is a piece of shit, or this is perfect, yep. in which case we deem it verging on greatness or wallowing in mediocrity. Just wallowing in mediocrity. So we, uh, today, uh, I think, fair to say this is um, a perfect, the perfect candidate from kind of talking to people about this podcast. Oh, uh, over, the, over the summer, this is one of the first movies that comes to mind for certainly anybody who was um, an adult uh, or close to an adult in 1992 when this movie came out. So this is Alien 3. Alien 3. Um, so the so now, I before we say anything else, I uh, need to be clear. Well, one thing, spoiler alert, uh, goes without saying, but if you haven't listened to this podcast before, we're going to spoil the shit out of this movie. Um Oh, million percent. Also, if you haven't seen this movie, I don't know what you've been watching. I mean, it's been on everything. It came out in 1992, over 20 years ago. So just calm your farm. Yeah, you should really check it out. Um, you should check it out. Uh, and also, uh, just to be clear, we, so for this purpose of this podcast, Craig and I have watched The Assembly Cut. This is a yep. movie that has a few different versions floating around. Um, and yep. we'll, we'll, we'll get to why that is in a little bit. But we've we've we're talking we're going to talk about the assembly cut today. Not sometimes the, not also the called the special version. edition, depending on which version you've seen or what box set oh, you bought this, it in. Okay, I wondered if special yeah. edition and assembly cut were different. I think they're the same. I did a little looking into this, and I think there's like one scene that's or there's some better ADR um, that separates them, and I think that's about it. Yeah, I could be wrong. I'm sure someone's screaming at me now who's watched every version and catalogued it and has a little shrine on their wall. Yeah. But, oh well. Apologies. So, so like I said, I think this is, and this is a, dif- it's a difficult one to do. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, this has been, this has been done over and over and over. This was a huge, oh. huge entry in this huge franchise and it's famously uh, falls flat compared with the first two, which admittedly were phenomenal. Yeah, so, I, I, straight uh, off the bat, the the very first note I made about this movie was uh, the one of the biggest problems with this movie is that it follows aliens, yeah, which is a very tough act to follow. Yeah, it's it's a it's a little bit like following Terminator Two. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just aliens so tight, such an incredible piece of filmmaking from a, a master of his craft. Um, James Cameron. Very, yeah. very difficult to step in and um, follow up that. And they, and I think it, 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 it bears a bit of the weight of that Alien, Alien 3. They, it tries, it's very ambitious in that it, it tries to do something 
tries to be different from both aliens and alien which are very unique in themselves the, the alien yeah. the first one from 79 being very much of the, the thriller and aliens yeah. being much more in the action space action uh field yeah and alien so alien 3 it tries to do something different again it tries to get a lot more um uh, existential crisis a lot more existential crisis uh, a lot more um uh, men on their own isolated i mean quite grim quite depressing um, very depressing it's the whole film just just from the opening shots alone the music um the overall the cinematography this is a wildly depressing movie yeah. just from the look and feel alone yeah so if, if you walked in thinking awesome i'm gonna watch sigourney weaver and michael bean Byan bean bean who i've met i would like to say i've met michael bean <laughs> so, i have i i saw him at a comic convention thing i went up and got an autograph from him it was yeah. a very proud moment so if you walk if you walked into the cinema thinking i'm going to watch sigourney weaver and michael bean kick some ass for two hours you're going to be disappointed before the credits even finish because he yep. he dies um yeah he, he's he's off camera with straight away off camera um what a fuck you like how do you find out you're not coming back to this movie oh no 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 we killed you off camera yeah <laughs> get fucked you're not um, coming to work today so we should i mean so we should we're, let's get let's get to that later because i really want to talk about kind of the, the genesis of this movie before we talk about the the various ways in which it falls down um so fair to say this is this is a movie that had a, a troubled production Oh, I think this is the very definition of a movie stuck in development hell. Yeah. It. Um, I think when Aliens came out, it was a critical and box office smash. It got Academy Award nominations, one even for acting. I mean, that's unheard of in an action movie. It took a long time. It was a long time between drinks for this franchise as well. As it was. Alien was 79, 79. And then 86. 86. So, so 70 years. That's a long, I think it's 86. That's a long time for a franchise oh yeah normally they're knocking them out every other couple of years i yeah. mean but this was the 70s and 80s it's not like it's not like marvel or yeah. star wars now where you're going to have a new you're going to have three new marvel movies every year yeah. and they're already lined up four. you're already you're, yeah. you're working on the fourth before the yeah, first one they, they, has even finished these movies kind of invented that format where you have um where you sign an actor up for five or six films yeah i don't really think they were doing that at this point in time uh, but no, it, it well, that's it, that's right. For each one, they had to agree to get Sigourney Weaver back, right? Back, and yeah. I, I read for this one, she only returned on uh, she had a, a clause that said that her character had to die if she was going to return, like she was determined that this would be the last one, yeah. And then amazingly, she wound up in another one. <laughs> I think, um, I think they just they backed a truck full of money up to her house. And just started shoveling it onto her front lawn until she said, "Yeah, fine, fine, stop, stop. I'll come back." So, could could you say now? I'm going on a bit of a tangent here. Could you say this movie is partially responsible for Sigourney Weaver's performance in Galaxy Quest? Oh, probably. Actually, yes. She probably wanted to do something wildly different. She she was desperately probably trying to break out of that Ripley archetype. <laughs> I mean, that's ultimately what she's most famous for is playing. Yeah ellen ripley in the aliens franchise i mean i love her and in, in stuff like um ghostbusters and uh working girl she's great yeah. in that um but yeah she's 
probably most famous for being an action star from from the alien movies so so um uh so it's it's 19 i guess 1990 ish and someone is someone's looking at the money rolling in from alien 2 and going yeah we're ready for we're ready for another one of those yeah i think so i think from the get-go once they realized they had such a monster hit on their hand that they recognized that they were probably going to try and do a third and i think as early as um 88 um, or 87 uh, a year after the film came out there were plans underway to have a, a, a follow-up um, with the earliest version of this film having Rennie Harlan at the at the seat for mm-hmm. directing it and he's he would have been hot off Nightmare on Elm Street 2 uh, 4 Nightmare, yeah. on, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 um, The Dream Child one of them um, and he he was tied into it. There was a script being written by um, famed sci-fi author William Gibson, mm. um, which I've, I've listened to the audiobook of the script that he churned out, which was a um, a Hicks-heavy Sigourney Weaver light or Ellen Ripley light version. There was a reason Ellen wasn't going to come back or they, mm. they, she, they couldn't get her back as she was refusing to come back. And so they were going to progress the film series without her and shift the focus on to Hicks hmm. um, and and um, the little girl, Newt. Um, and so that that was the script that was being knocked around for a little while. Uh, and then uh, that got to the point where Rennie Harlan walked to go off and do other things. Hmm. Um, I think he went on to do Die Hard 2, which is interesting. Um, or... The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, one of them. Mm-hmm. That's a film we should talk about at some point. Um, they had a a revolving door of screenwriters come through, um, including a guy called Eric Red, um, who wrote The Hitcher and um, Near Dark. Mm. Um, so, and then there was uh, David um, Twohy came on board as well. There was a whole host of ideas, what, um, a whole host of films. And Vincent Ward came on at one point. Did he come yeah, on first so, as a writer or as a director? I think they wanted him for both. Um, so he had a film, he's a, so repping the Kiwi side, yeah. Vincent Ward, he had a film called um, The Navigator, um, which I haven't seen, but I know is a bit of a, um, a cultural touchstone. So he came on board, uh, they were courting him, but he didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so they kept coming for him and... Um, and eventually he agreed to write a script. Um, and he wrote the script, which had monks, space monks living on a wooden planet. Mm. And um, Ellen was going to turn up and she was going to set their world on fire um, and not in a good way. And an alien would come with her. And uh, funnily enough, some of those... El- and so he's the, he's still the credited screenwriter on this film. Yeah. They dropped the wooden planet, kept the monk-like idea... And turned them into prisoners, and you kind of have Alien Three. And at some point, yeah. David Fincher, who is a noted music video director, so um, I think his probably his crowning achievement would be the Madonna Vogue video, which is a very iconic video from the late '80s, early '90s. Um, and he he's tapped to be the director, and so in his feature film debut, um, Academy Award nominated, highly influential director David Fincher gets alien 3 as his first feature film and he must so, have, so he must have been young as well 
Yeah, I think he was. He'd been around for a while. Like, if you have a look at his um his credits, right. he's been making music videos since the eighties, um the mid eighties. So he he had at least ten years, or at least five to seven years of music video directing under his belt. He was born in um, he was born in sixty two, so he was in his twenties. Oh yeah, he would have been like twenty nine. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think I think we're going to start to see some of the problems with that age and lack of feature film background coming behind him on the filming of alien three well he's so there's this he's he's kind of he's uh distanced himself from the film almost completely yeah Yeah, refuses to talk about it um and the i think we both found the same quote for him which was um a lot of people hated alien three but no one hated it more than me hence the quote from david so hence even even this version is not referred to as a director's cut even though the the intention is for it to be closer to what his vision was it's still not. Yep. It's, you still can't call it a director's cut because he wasn't involved in cutting this movie together. He just he didn't. Want, no, he didn't want to be within a hundred feet of this movie, even no, even, and even years later, even years later, even given an opportunity to right the wrongs. I guess he thought he, even with what was shot, he didn't. He wouldn't have enough to work with to make to even, yeah, even make a film right. that he was happy with. And I think, and I think you've got to you've got to assume that a lot of that is. He's, he, he was a young guy. He didn't have a single feature film under his belt. And that whether, whether this was the intention with the, the, the bringing on uh, the hiring of him in the first place or not, that, that he, got, he got bossed around to a really massive degree by the studio absolutely we certainly wouldn't be the first people to suggest that there was some significant studio interference um, on this film. I think in 92 Fox were having some trouble financially or at least they were they were not um they felt they hadn't had a decent hit in a while mm. and they needed a big hit and uh so the previous two alien films had been big hits for fox so i think they came along with this one and we're pretty keen for this one to be a big hit as well when the dailies start coming in and they see that they're getting a film that's probably less aliens which was a big action tentpole film um and more alien with added religious um you know, metaf- metaphysics to it mm. uh they i think they got a little bit nervous and started ma- started making changes uh, or started indicating that you know body count be emphasized and action be emphasized um over whatever navel gazing the film was looking to do yeah so i think yeah i, I i'm pretty sure we're not the first to suggest it yeah i'm sure we won't be the last people to suggest it either so yeah, I think Fox interfered significantly in this film. Yeah, rather than let David Fincher be David Fincher. Um, anything else on anything else on the production we should we should cover before we before we dig into it? Uh, I was watching a doco on this. Um, several there's several documentaries on this. Um, on the internet, you, amazing what you can find. Um, but one of the things I thought was really interesting is that there was a vision of the version of this movie that existed that we never got to see, which included the space monks. Um, and they built these big elaborate sets um, at Pine Street, Pine Tree Studios, or Elm Elm Street, Elm Tree Studios, a big, um, a big London studio. Um, they fully built these sets that then they destroyed because they changed the film entirely. Mm. So this film was wildly troubled to start with. And um, yeah, that's actually that's another thing that I read. In addition to in addition to having to build the sets in a real rush. To, to meet the new the changes and the evolving vision for the for the movie um they had to redesign the alien um to suit the vision for the movie um in, in, in a bit of a rush and, and using technology that i think it's fair to say that they weren't completely 
on top of. Um, and, mm. e- and even when they started shooting, they were shooting without a script when they started yeah. because the, the, the script was still um, being, written. Still being written. So they were, they yeah. were shooting, uh, just shooting blind, really. Making it up as they go when along. They, when, yeah. it, when it started off. So they didn't. They didn't have a lot. Didn't have a lot going for them. They didn't have a lot of cards, um, in their in their hand. Yeah, they, they were draw. Yeah, they, they, had were, a lot of they trumps. were picking up cards wildly. Yeah, they had a lot of trumps. Um, they were picking up cards wildly, hoping to get something good. Yeah. Um, so that obviously they had Scorny Weaver on board, but she's actually the the only named actor in this film at the time of its mm. release. I mean, now you've got Charles Dance, who's probably most famous for being in game of thrones yeah um and you've got charles s dutton um one of the two Charleses in the film he's fantastic he plays dylan the the Mm. quasi leader of the of the prisoners um and but everybody else is more or less unknown um there's there's pete postlethwaite um who's known to the to uk audiences um and would later i i think people know who pete is yeah but beyond that, there's no other big names in this film. Um, so yeah, from the get go, this is a, a weird pick uh, for 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 Fox to pin their hopes on being a um, a tentpole film. Yeah, yeah. Gosh. Um. And so uh, we so we nearly touched on this, but I'll go go back to this. So the, the movie starts. So you think, in in time, it starts in in terms of Ripley's consciousness. She goes to sleep at the end of uh, Aliens, Aliens in a cryotube, and she wakes up here. Nothing happens in between. Um, but what she soon discovers is what you see in the credits, which is that everybody that uh, that the the whole point of Aliens, um, every everybody who strove so hard to to overcome the alien in Aliens um, has died, except for her. Yep. <laughs> just big old fuck you all that work she went to to get carrie han uh sorry she's the actress who plays uh newt, newt. all that work she went to to get newt and uh save hicks and bishop no fuck all of you <laughs> you're all dead you're not important so fuck that's all. a that's a that's a tough one to start with and naturally you can see it you is. can see why you, you 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 go from one to the next you want to you want a clean break you want to be able to you want to be able to start fresh and and not carry that baggage over necessarily maybe there was but hicks maybe is there was, great maybe there was some contractual stuff that stopped them bringing hicks through uh, or maybe no oh, he was he was just as surprised as the audience was to find out that he wasn't coming back really? he found out um he wasn't coming back when they told him when they were making the film and he was like he was expecting to get a phone call to come and make the film and nope um and then um one of the things i saw out of this was um uh, Michael Bean, uh, he found out that they had used um, his picture uh, without his permission um, in this film because they show a picture of him like his deceased. Yeah. And um, he he jokes, and I, I bet you there's some truth to this, he jokes he got paid more for the use of that picture for <laughs> Alien 3 than he got paid in Aliens. Um, so... <laughs> so <laughs> And it, there's an interview with him where he was like, oh, man, if I had known David Fincher was going to be so big, I would have said, hey, David, just give me a role in your next film. <laughs> so <laughs> just cast me in something else. Yeah. You Put can me use in, my picture all you like. Make me, make me the lead <laughs> in seven. 
Brad. Oh yeah, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. He's on his way out. <laughs> he's he's gonna have a short career. That guy's <laughs> that Brad Pitt guy. Fuck him. That guy's What's going. That guy's going from? nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he didn't know. He didn't know that he wasn't yeah. coming back. And um, Carrie Han, who plays Newt. Um, basically aliens is her one and only credit she went off to have a completely normal life uh, where she is occasionally spotted as oh you were carrie you, you were newt in mm. aliens and she's like yep now i'm carrie han a uh, uh, real estate agent yeah. or whatever it is she does i think she went off and got a she went off and got a real career um she's done very well for herself um so it's but yeah it's, no, it's kind of it's kind of tidy but at the same time abrupt the, the the way it the way it starts off you can and it's it's uh emblematic of the whole movie you can see why they did it that way but then you also kind of it leaves you wondering couldn't, couldn't you have found something a little less jarring couldn't you have found a, a less uncomfortable way to do that ah yeah probably gosh and so unceremoniously too yeah. like just fuck you no they're dead yeah, <laughs> yeah. just like that I, because I like can, that. because I can, yeah, like yeah, vengeful God, yeah. yeah. I, I saw this movie in cinemas. Uh, I saw it on my. I went when I was like, I think in New Zealand it was R sixteen or M fifteen. I can't remember, but it was my birthday and I was able to go and see it. I was old enough, so I went and saw this film in cinema, having seen Aliens, um, some couple some years earlier um and i i thought aliens was was amazing yeah. amazeballs it was fucking fantastic um and then i went and saw this and i remember going holy hell what what the fuck was that um so what, that was really depressing what's a what's a movie that does that a bit more a bit more respectfully the way you've you've, you've got to do away with a, a major character from a movie that's come before it but you do it in a way that that doesn't leave a nasty taste in your mouth. Oh gosh, um, I can't think of what else in my head. Normally, there must be some out there. We there must be one have, out there. Yeah, we should have looked this up. <laughs> um, <laughs> should have done a bit more prep. Yeah, sorry, uh, I'm, I'm sure there's films out there that. Yeah, I'm sure there's films out there that go, "Oh, this character's gone off to summer school or something." I mean, I guess the um, the the Karate Kid movies, like uh, Karate Kid One and Karate Kid Two, um, you have. Daniel LaRusso and Mr. Miyagi. Mm. I mean, they carry through those first three films. But um, the girlfriend, um, played by Elizabeth Shue from the first one to the second one, uh, she is is unceremoniously dumped for the second film by saying she's run off with a football player. Um, (laughs) And so Daniel LaRusso LaRusso explains her absence by turning to camera pretty much going, <laughs> she ran off with the football player she ran off with the quarterback um which leaves them free to to have romantic liaisons in japan but um like in like but, in, in, in silent movies where you just you just put up a <laughs> put up a card with, card. The, with the exposition <laughs> on it hex and newt died on the ship moving on <laughs> <laughs> but, i mean i mean uh, probably keeping true to our, our promised format to start with like well how would you fix these films okay so you've got newton hicks audience favorites everyone like newton hicks yeah why couldn't it be that um i don't know maybe there was so the the, the premise is that there's a fire on the Salako, which is the spaceship they're yeah. coming home on so the Salako then puts the cryopods where they're asleep in 
uh, into a um, into a an escape pod and fires it off at the nearest habitable planet. Maybe there was a contrivance there where Ripley's pod was engulfed in some kind of a fire and that was ejected into the ev vehicle i don't know it sounds a bit naff now that i say it out loud but her pod is ejected and um uh and that winds up um so she winds up on the planet and newton hicks are still alive on the Salako. or maybe it could be the other way around um uh there's a fire the computer because i mean something that happens in the first film is you have the computer mother that seemingly controls all mm. of their lives this omnipotent how to how um, 9000 like computer that tells ripley what she can and can't do um and maybe it was a a, a, a re, um, something like that where newton hicks are ejected and so they survive on some planet and Ellen Ripley is left alone on the Sulaco um, after Bishop manages to wake himself up and put out the fire, mm. um, drag himself over and, and put on the fire extinguisher. And so you wind up with a broken um, uh, Bishop and Ellen Ripley on the Sulaco and she tries to turn this thing around or get to the nearest planet. And that's how she winds up there. So Newton Hicks are living an adventure in space somewhere by themselves. And she's she's left with Bishop. I mean, I'd watch that movie. That movie sounds great. It's, actually, you know, <laughs> I was call me. I was asking myself while you were talking. I was thinking, does it, does it if they're not in the movie, if they're not in Alien Three, does it matter if they're alive or dead? And I actually think, yeah, it does. It has a really big impact on has a really big impact on Ripley and her how she approaches this this new fresh challenge where the whole thing comes tinged with the sense of hopelessness. Because, yeah. because she's, I mean, I guess that's kind of what they were going for, I suppose. Because, I mean, she has a thing. She's got a speech where she's talking to what she thinks is the alien, but it's just a pipe. And, and she's like, you've been in my life so long. I don't remember what it was like without you. Now do me this one thing. And she, she wants it to kill her because she's, mm. she's found out that, spoiler alert, she's carrying an alien inside her. Yeah. Um, and it, it turns out, it won't kill her because it recognizes that she's a carrier. Um, so she's like immune to the alien. And so now it's just a race against time, but we'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, no, but yeah, it's, it's kind yeah, of, that's a, that's a, that's a good point. I guess that you're right. That's, that is, I guess a, di- a directorial decision in line with the mood that they are trying to strike here of. Yeah. That, the, that she's twice lost a kid. Yeah. She's lost, she's lost her real child and she's lost her surrogate child mm-hmm. And her surrogate husband, yeah. although a relationship between because James Cameron's a smart filmmaker um, and probably a little ahead of his time, he he recognized that they didn't need to be in a relationship for them to be friends. They didn't need to have a romantic relationship. They could just be platonic friends. Um, so amazing, is, amazing. That is yeah. that is about thir- like you still. I mean, look, it's just a trope. You it's still just have a that trope, today. You just it is yeah. But he, he even even in eighty six. Yeah, I like James Cameron a lot. Um, I think he's a bit of an asshole, and I'm sure he's an absolute monster to work for. But um, he is—he is a very, very clever filmmaker. And film's uh, a good film. He—he he, uh, he, he knows what a good film is, and so oh, yeah. Even in '86, he recognized that you can have a, a male and female character um, who are cis, cisgendered, and and they don't have to be romantically yeah. linked in film. They don't have they to. Can just they don't be, have to kiss triumphantly at the end. No. They can just exchange names. They can just fist bump. Yeah, they can fist bump and they can exchange names because he calls her Ripley and she calls him Hicks. 
and those aren't their first names and and their their metaphorical kiss or their kiss analog is i'm Dwayne, i'm ellen hmm. um and that's 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 what that's all that's needed and a don't don't stay too long, Alan. Which is, yeah. is anyway. Isn't this that, isn't a that's Aliens lifted from um, that's lifted from Twelve Angry Men, isn't it? Because that's how Twelve Angry Men ends with the two guys at the end. Um, yeah, Jura Twelve and Jura yeah, Seven. They, they give they've they've only referred to themselves by number throughout the whole the yeah. whole story, and at the end, they're kind of the 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 final the final act after it's all over. The epilogue is is them giving each other their names. Yeah, and then they say goodbye. Yep, James James Cameron isn't an original filmmaker. He just knows what makes good movies. Yeah, and he's like, well, that worked. Yeah, I'm gonna take that. That works. Yeah, use that shit. Yeah. Um, okay, so we should start talking about uh, what actually happens in this movie because we've, we've used up about half of our time. Um, do, do we faffing about? There's an the, alien. About the it making. chases some prisoners. <laughs> there's there's a fire. There's a lot of fire. There's a lot of sl- there's there's slow motion shots of fire. There's a lot of yellow. Um, there's a yacht. There's a lot. Oh fucking yeah! <laughs> like, that filter, man. I mean, David Fincher still does it to this day. He loves that. Yeah, he loves he yellow. He loves that seventies, that seventies yeah. yellow it's a lot vibe. Of yellow that and old a lot of yellow and stock. seven. Yeah, he loves it. Um, that that iridescent, that the the um, ink, sorry, what is it? The fluorescent lighting, yeah. but not not James Cameron fluorescent lighting, where it's all kind of stark and blue. He likes it when it's green and dirty. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of um, fisheye lens running yeah. around, making you feel nauseous. Yeah, that's in, the, um, in that, that end sequence where it actually it goes to fisheye lens and, and it's it's a first person on the alien. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's fun. Um, Charles Dance is really good. I like Charles Dance. Yeah. So, yeah, really Ripley cool. winds up on, on this planet called Fury. Or, or Forino, I can't remember. Um, and she uh, she she survives, and it's a prison planet that has no weapons or seemingly any kind of technology. So it's a departure so, from the previous films so where I, it was high tech. I actually really like this about the movie. I really like this concept because he says we have all the technology in the world, but none of it works, and we can't fix it. Yeah, and no way to fix so it. So there's there's that there's that really this is one of my, one of the things I like about the movie the most is there's there's that real sense of it, it gives you that sense you know you, you you ask yourself if i had to go back a hundred years what could i what could i or a, th- or a thousand years mm. i couldn't make any of this shit i, I wouldn't know how any yeah, of this yeah. works this all this works because it's it's here but yeah. i would be useless i would be useless and it, and it makes it does that to ripley she's been she's faced it with all the firepower of the future the, yeah. the laser guns and shit yeah, um, and, pulse rifles. And now, yep. and, and they're doing that to her. They're saying, "Well, what would you do if you were if you had a sword and a shield, bitch? Show us now." <laughs> they, even to the point where they call it the dragon. They do yeah, instead yeah. of calling it the, they love instead that. of calling it the alien. Only only Ripley calls it the xenomorph. Yeah, they call it, they call it the dragon. So there's that really cool, the medieval um, feeling feel and, to it, and the, and the medieval. Yeah. The medieval morality as well, where I can be I can be a priest leaving a congregation and also be a rapist and a murderer. Um, yep. So there's that that really that really medieval sense of sense of morality. Um, well, I mean that part of it, that, that part of the film is great. I just wish they had played that up more. Yeah, yeah. Which is I guess taking it back to that Vincent Ward script, which is he wanted to do the Navigator. Yeah. In space. Yeah. 
it's, with aliens. Is that I don't know. The, I don't know. The, I don't know the Navigator. Is that along those lines? Where it's... so then I, I I haven't I haven't seen it all the way through, but it's um, a bunch of medieval a medieval group somehow or other wind up in modern day, and they're trying mm. to get home. Mm. That's my understanding of it. So uh, it's a right. fish out of water tale with with medieval okay. folk. Um, yeah, you you got to think a little bit because there's a there's a few things that a few kind of. Uh, sci-fi uh, worlds that do this really well. Firefly, I think, is another one where it's like, yeah, what would the world actually be like with technology? We've got okay, we've got Star Trek where everyone's benevolent. All the all the humans are benevolent anyway, and they all they all work out of the good of the goodness of their heart, and there's no money. Um, but that you know, there's franchises that ask the a question: socialist, a socialist utopia. Yeah, what, what, what would, what would the world? What's the world really going to be like? What would you know? Really taking a real that real futurist kind of view of it, and this does that as well, where it's like, well, yeah, you'll have a bunch of technology everywhere, but none of it's going to work. It's all going to be, it's all going to be old. Yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be the amazing sleek spaceships that the people with the money have. The yeah. company's got that. Anybody who doesn't have the money, anybody who is not aligned with a corporation with money, they're going to be running on second-hand shit. They're going to be, they're going to be, yeah. you know, the, the 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 space equivalent of an eighty-nine Commodore. You know, that's that's what that's what most people are going to be. <laughs> fate, that's what most people are going to be worse driving. than hell itself. Yeah, <laughs> an eighty-nine Commodore. <laughs> um so yeah so that's it's just it's something i I really like about this movie and i think this is one of the first one of the first sci-fis to really dig into that that like what if what if we made it what if we made a sci-fi movie where none of the technology worked i think there's a version of this movie floating around that um i think there's literally one of the scripts that were being written had this as a western in space which is now that you mentioned the firefly part of yeah that's the same concept same concept, that's the same yes, concept western and space well yeah a little, a little bit different but um uh, in that you've got an alien running around but i guess they kind of do that in cowboys and aliens which is a film that comes out later yeah but um uh yeah i think there's a version of the script literally a version of the script um where it's it's space cowboys and yeah. um and they're on a they're on a, a a planet that has some kind of cattle equivalent which which is funny because in the assembly cut of this film, the alien appears from an ox as opposed to from a dog, which in the theatrical cut, the alien appears from a dog. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. so some of, so some of the characters you meet, so you meet, you meet, uh, so the doctor, um, Clemens, uh, played by Charles Dance, um, you meet the, the superintendent, um, Andrews, Mm-hmm. Um, you, you meet Dylan, you the, the Dylan, quasi Dylan who's the priest. Person. So these are these are all people in these. They're they're all in that sort of medieval archetype role. Uh, you know, um, the the superintendent is the he likes everything to be orderly and tidy, uh, and he likes to know everything that's going on. Um, the 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 priest, um, you know, he's he's uh, a priest with a troubled past. He's trying to you know he's trying to lead a flock, but also exercise his own demons. Um, a doctor, a doctor who's, who carries this really strong empathy for everybody except, but he's really hard on himself. He's also, you yep. know, he's got a troubled past um, that he's trying to atone for. Uh, he reveals that he's one of the only people who is there um, by choice of his own volition. Yeah, yeah, um, and and yeah, you find out you find out uh, just before he dies, in fact, that he is there um, 
uh, yeah, he's there because of because he he through medical misadventure he killed a bunch of people. Um, yeah, and he's he's put himself in in literal limbo um, or uh, what do you call it when you put yourself in in prison? Oh, I forget it. There's a there's a, ter- a word for it where you say uh, uh, um, self imposed exile. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, you have Morse. The, my favorite character in the film, Morse. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah. So you meet a bunch of the other. So those are the main players from from the um, from the mine. But then you got a, you got a bunch of other red shirts as well, um, who are all. <laughs> red shirts. And this is, I mean, and this is one of the one of the things that this movie really struggles with is, and the assembly cut addresses this t- a little bit, um, but still not quite enough. Is is you never really get to know those red shirts and. Because of the aesthetic around the head shaving, they're, they're really yeah, difficult they're, to tell they're. apart. It takes a long time to bond with them. You can bond with you can bond with Clemens um, because you see him up close for so much. So many of the so much of the first act is just about Ripley and Clemens because he is the main person. Also, it's Charles motherfucking dance. That guy's and, got a voice that would Charles put dance. a fucking yeah. panther to sleep. Yeah, yeah, lull it into a sense of security and then kill it with love. Um, so, yeah, Charles Dance. So you recognise Clemens. You recognise the superintendent, who is kind of fat, and he has the glasses. And you recognise Dylan, who is black. Otherwise, all of the red shirts, red shirts look pretty much identical. Um, the the one thing that the assembly cut does is one of the one of the uh, the other inmates prisoners um, yeah, is Golic. Is Golic is is spattered with blood. Um, Oh yes, he's, and he, he spends the rest of the film covered in blood. Yeah, he never he never gets he never cleans his face. He's spattered with blood, mm. and then he's throughout the rest of the film he's he's covered he's he's got this this blood stain on his face. So you can always recognize mm-hmm. Golic, but other than other than them, uh, you, you really don't get um, you you don't get much to distinguish between the mm. other inmates, and that makes it really difficult to bond with any of them. Yeah, absolutely. It, it um and ultimately Ripley um has a shaved head as well for which she was paid a bonus um and I've got to say at points it's hard to distinguish her from the others as well um at a distance yeah she's the tall thin one it that's it makes that that shot of her with her shaved head with the alien right up in her oh, right, up, I, in her right up on the is, yeah, is yeah. fucking amazing that the, that's iconic yeah, it's like yeah. iconic exactly that shaved head you can see they they got yeah. that bang on that was yeah beautiful yeah yeah, yeah. really it's also i mean we haven't exactly sung this movie's praises um we've we've dumped on it dunked on it a little bit but sigourney weaver is legit good in this film yeah the the cast the cast is not the problem in this movie no no the cast the cast themselves are fine there's so there's and and i think aesthetically aesthetically it's it's like 9.5 9.5 beautifully shot 9.5 yeah. out of 10 the only the only aesthetic yeah. thing that I, I do have a beef with is is that issue with those with the red shirt yeah uh, they all look characters. the same they all kind of look the same but other, other than that the film is is absolutely tight from a visual perspective it looks brilliant i wonder if yeah. that even and you know, something just occurred to me thinking about this as a as a kind of medieval movie i wonder if that's the reason why everyone is english <laughs> there's, a, there's a certain kind of colonial aspect <laughs> maybe this should have just been called alien 3 australia 
Oh dear, there seems to be a xenomorph coming out of that coming out of that vent. Oh. Whatever shall we do? Make a cup of oh, tea. Oh, there goes the neighbourhood. <laughs> oh, this movie could have been about Brexit. Oh no, An- another illegal alien. What shall we do? Build a wall. So, I f- so I feel like so the first first half of the movie. So although although they have dispensed with. Um, Hicks and Newt fairly efficiently in the credits. The first act of the movie is essentially Ripley um, working with Clemens to to get the autopsy done on Newt, which has the has the effect of it's her saying goodbye to Newt, but it's also planting the seed with Clemens that there is something going on here, and so, and so yep. that's that's the whole first act, and then. Um, it's also it's also proving to Ripley that she didn't have an alien in her. Yes, um, and that and Hicks Hicks uh, unceremoniously his body was destroyed um, in the in the making of this in the crash landing. Like you see a pretty gruesome head turned yeah. inside out of Hicks, and so there's no alien in him. So she's just proving to herself that there was no alien brought on board i don't i don't don't know exactly what you would call the start of the second act i don't know where the story really changes Uh, i I don't know if there is one really is it when she sleeps with clemens is it like the start of the second act like because you almost resolved her conflict um there's there's they talk about how uh, whaler dutani the corporation is sending a ship to um, a rescue ship to come and get her um and so and then she she after after Hicks um, and Newt are cremated um, and Charles S. Dutton has a little speech, she ends up laying with Charles Dance Clemens and um, he explains uh, why he is there. Um, and we've had, we, we know off screen that an alien is about, it, it um, birthed itself from an ox and we know that it is now killing prisoners um in ways that look like accidents at first so um, actually you know what i actually think it's slightly after they sleep together and in fact uh, i've i wonder if it's actually the point where clemens is investigating the death of the prisoner who's died in the fan and he spots the acid mark and he he it occurs to him that the fan was blowing so there was no way that prisoner could have been pulled into the fan I actually wonder if that's if that's where the second act starts because that's the point where yeah. that's the point where he knows something is. But the fact that we're having so much trouble, the fact that we have to discuss where the start of the second act is is yeah, indicative of yeah, the problem. And if, with this and, and if, it's, if it's, it's possible that the second act started the, the start of the second act is actually nothing to do with Ripley, unless it's oh, could it be that scene in the the scene in the cafeteria where she actually. Like she she comes out into the cafeteria. So the first the first act she's she only talks to Clemens, and and she, and he gets ordered. She gets, they get ordered that she's not she's not she's going to stay on her own. She's going to stay. In yeah, the, she's going to stay in mid in the mid bay until she's she's taken away. And and you could almost say that the scene where she scene where she strolls into the cafeteria is is the turning point because at that point up until that point the movie is about. Her being in the med bay and the um, confirming that Newt was not carrying a xenomorph. At that point, she strolls into the cafeteria and you know, okay, she's not just going to sit there and wait. 
she is going to she's going to provoke some business from these yeah. from these guys so you could say it's that that all happens around the, the traditional kind of turning point moment i wouldn't say any of it's really super strong i do want to say that i love that um cafeteria scene that's maybe my favorite scene in the movie and again it's got that western kind of feel where mm. the dialogue is the dialogue is really clipped and then you, you yep. someone will say something and then you get about three shots of dudes watching and then someone else says something more shots of dudes watching the dudes There's watching really cool western kind of saloon feel to that scene yeah is that is that the scene where um uh where the andrews is taken in the vent <laughs> no that's that's the halfway oh. point actually that's the that's the that's the midpoint because that's that's the Damn it. that's the scene where the xenomorph is actually revealed everybody sees it and that's that's the midpoint which is actually that's a it's a good midpoint because that's it's, it's almost the midpoint that you have to have in this movie because that's the point where you go from suspense thriller to to all action, action. Suspense thriller. Yep. Some people don't know it. They don't know what it is. Some people don't think it's anything at all. It's just a bunch of mishaps, you know. Yeah. And so it's just a couple so of accidents. That's the, the yep. midpoint. So it happens in the same place. So maybe that's what they're going for: is that the, the the cafeteria scene is the first turning point, and then the midpoint happens in the cafeteria as well. So no, the, the first one is the one where she she says she strolls up to. Um, she has the the there's good script writing here. They give her a good reason to actually go up and talk to the guys, which is to thank dylan for because he says he says his, a few words his beautiful words he says a yeah. few a few kind words um as they are committing hicks and newt to the flames so they give her a reason to go up and talk to him and thank him he tells her to piss off um he doesn't want her charity yeah <laughs> that's that's oh, great i love that i love that scene i think that scenes i think best, every best scene, scene with with ellen and um dylan are great like dylan is low-key my favorite character in the yeah. film uh he he is and charles dutton the actor fantastic nails it absolutely nails that performance really good you wonder really if so you, um maybe getting ahead of myself here but you wonder if clemens and dylan should be the same character almost yeah i think yeah actually now, now that you mention it i really want them to be the same character i don't necessarily want her to have a relationship um Although I would point out this is the first relationship on screen she's had in the three films yeah, where she is. It's really it's really jarring when when it, yeah. she seduces Clemens. Clemens. Yeah. Just seemingly and yeah. and it doesn't really give any explanations. Oh, I've been in space a long time. I've been out here a really long time. <laughs> I want some. <laughs> but it's kind of cool because um I would say because typically if it reverse that gender role make mm. ellen um you know uh, alex yeah um i can't think of the male equivalent of ellen um alan? call it alex uh, uh, alan yeah sure <laughs> and make clemens uh clementine uh and now have have uh, um alan seduce clementine um Ugh. and like in your in your traditional action film that's all right yeah that's fine yeah yeah that that's what's expected if ellen if ellen ripley was played by mel uh, mel gibson 1992 mel gibson when he was way less complicated yeah. than he is today um yeah that would that would be totally acceptable that would be the done thing but cool or at least you'd, i think, or at least I think you'd, you'd, you'd yeah you'd, you'd tease it 
Yeah, a little bit. You'd, you'd set them up, and there's and there's something nice about you know. Uh, there's, I like that they're willing to go there and not like, oh no, Ripley, Ripley doesn't bang. That's, that's yeah, not her, that's not her bag. No, she could she yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And and they. This is what I. One of the things I. The strengths of this movie is that they are prepared to, prepared to build on, build on the themes in making in making her a, a, a sexual being and giving her not only doing that but actually giving her sexual power. Um, Fuck yeah! Um, that yeah, that, get, that, get some, Ellen. That builds on on all of the all of the themes of this franchise, which is um, all the the stuff around um, childbirth, um, male and female versions of childbirth and experiences of childbirth, um, rape, sexuality, and 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 creation. And it built this this really builds on on the that creation myth as well. And and by actually mm. having having Ripley um, host an alien for the first time. Um, yeah, it's... Well, it gives her it gives her, her third metaphysical child, right? Yeah. So you had the child she lost to age while she was stuck off in space, the, the surrogate child in you, and now she has a third literal child that's growing inside her like a baby. Yeah. Also, I would like to point out the longest gestating alien in any of these films. Like, if you think about... Uh, the first one that that guy wakes up from the face hugger falling off his face and then an hour later in dinner it's bursted yeah. through his chest uh and then um in this film uh literally seemingly days go by and this alien has yet to burst yeah, from her chest i guess you can oh, i guess you could say well it's the queen i don't know it's how convenient <laughs> said the script <laughs> <laughs> I, I do while, while we're talking about the fact that Ripley actually carries an alien this is this is one of the big challenges of the movie so you find out about um it's in it's it's in the second half of the movie I, oh let me check when does she actually find out yeah second it's the second half of the movie um it's 90 it's 94 minutes in actually in this cut so wow. it's quite a way through you find out she's pregnant with the alien um, from that and from that point and shortly after that she finds out that the alien's not going to kill her for that reason and suddenly suddenly all the tension around Sigourney Weaver and how is she going to survive this is, is lifted goes out the window that's, yeah. that's all gone and you've also killed um, two of the three um, introduced characters in this movie already in Clemens and Andrews yeah. you've killed them off so it's really it's well, that's really a, only Dylan that you're you're yeah, for so that's, at the that's end. kind of a rehash of the first two films where you've got to kill off the command structure and you've got to kill off the otherwise traditional male um, action heroes yes. so that Ellen can be in charge. So you've got to you've got to get her back into a position where um, Sarge is gone and the Gorman the the lieutenant has turned out to be ineffectual. You've got to get rid of Tom Skerritt from the first film because yeah. he's your obvious hero type. You've got to, and then you've got to get Ellen into that position where she's the boss. I don't know if that's just because they, they, they don't know if the audience is going to accept that the female character will be the will be the heroine, with but only only if all the other traditional male power archetypes are gone, yeah. or whether that's just just how they've been writing these films to date. Well, this person dies, this person dies. Okay, so Ellen now steps up rather than. I don't know why it can't be the other way. Uh, and maybe if I were making this film, 
I would do it the other way where like they all bow down to her immediate authority on this and they go, oh shit, you know what you're doing. We're just going to defer to you now because she still has to go through that power swing where it's like, okay, all of your bosses are now dead. I'm, I'm, I'm the captain now. Um, I'll, I'll avoid doing a, a Somali pirate um, impersonation, but I, I'm the captain. Look at me. I'm the captain. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 tricky, but that's yeah, that's the impact that it has, and the and the way that it, the way that it plays out in this is you wind up feeling kind of yeah, the, there's there's humans running around. I don't know who the hell any of them are. You can't tell the difference. It's, it's not like an, an, <laughs> they all look the same. You know, in, in aliens, and I guess that's maybe that's what they're trying to do with some of those cafeteria scenes. But in aliens, you know, you've got these marines. They're suiting up. They're bantering. Um, yeah, and, and the and the and the and they're all wildly distinct. Yeah, and the, so well, and, and the one and the one exchange between um, Hudson and Vasquez, you know everything you need to know about those two. Hudson says, Hudson saying, um, "Hey Vasquez, have you ever been mistaken for a man?" And Vasquez says, "Yeah, no, have you?" You know, you know everything you need to know about those two. So she's the gun, she's the gun-toting tough bitch. And and oh, she's so he's, good. He's the he's the Joker who's also kind of a he's who's also Joker. kind of a muppet. Um, yeah, he's, he's kind of a lovable. He's not an idiot, but you know, he likes to he likes oh. to joke. He likes to joke around. He's your he's your comic relief. And you never you never get you never get that with these. None of the other. I keep I keep calling them red shirts. None of the other inmate. No red shirts is appropriate kind of, because they don't matter. Yeah, they die. But none of the, yeah none of them. They don't get distinguished in any way. There's only one. There's only one that's vaguely distinguished, and um, I noted it at the time because I went. I, I was like, "Holy shit!" It's Holt McClarney. Um and he is. I think that's how you say, say his name, Holt McCallany. Yeah. Anyway, he's a frequent um, David Fincher collaborator. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays uh, one of the goons um, in the back of the car with um, uh, Brad Pitt oh, really? and Ed, Edward Norton. You know, what are your greatest regrets? I want to build a house. Oh, yeah. um, that's that guy. Um, and he turns up um, in a bunch of Fincher things. He's also in uh, Mindhunter. He's one of the. He's Holden or Ford. I can't remember which way around okay. the characters are called. But yeah, he's a frequent um, Finch Fincher collaborator. And I was like, holy shit! It's a very yeah. young Holt. Um, and he's the guy with the goggles and the teardrop um, tattoo who's leading the uh, rank. Right. Um, who gets who gets the shit kicked out of him by Ellen once once she's freed up. Once it's one on one. Ellen yes. fucks up his shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he then so. he sacri- he's the one who sacrifices himself, right, to to trap the alien. My yeah, I think it is actually. He's the one that runs I think in they, there. I think they give him a bit of a redemption. He runs. He run. He draws the alien in. So in this version, uh, they, they in the second act they or um or the they se- successfully se- trap second the half, alien. They 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 come up with an elaborate scheme of of using fire to to divert the alien into this uh, storage a waste storage facility that is the one place in the facility that you can actually close and lock and that doesn't have any ways out um and there's no way the alien's getting out of it six foot of steel or something like that so naturally naturally it goes wrong um but in this version they still manage to draw the lure the alien in by having this one guy sacrifice himself and then the alien is released by Golic, who was the crazy guy who was is kind of in love with the alien in a bit of a weird way um where in the theatrical version it just it just fails and falls apart it fails it falls apart they cut Which it out entirely i actually think is is 
is I would argue that's actually better. There's something disappointing about having all that work happen and then have Golok just stroll up through a series of kind of 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 people. We we know that nobody in this facility trusts Golok, and yet on two on two distinct occasions, someone trusts him enough, and then he kills them. And um, oh, he doesn't kill the first one; he knocks him out, and then he kills the second one, and then he releases the alien. It doesn't really it doesn't yeah. really wash. Although I like what it, uh, again and this again emblematic of what this movie is about. I like what that I like the the point of it thematically, and that mm. and, and and again they're building on Bishop expresses a, a certain respect uh, and almost an ad, adoration or admiration for the movie in the second one. Yeah, he calls it beautiful. Yeah. I think and so to to have an actual human, albeit a crazy human, uh, almost in love with the alien in this one. Um, <clears throat> again, it takes that kind of a step further. It's a good throwback. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I like it thematically, but it just doesn't work for the story. Uh, yeah, it does work thematically. But once that whole gambit fails and Golic releases it and they're all kind of confined to, um, you know, waiting it out and they, they're clearly regressing to their to their pre, pre-incarcerated selves, one of them has got a box full of drugs that they've lifted from MedLab and a syringe <laughs> and uh, he's just getting high <laughs> it's a little detail <laughs> yeah, there's one of them i think it's i think it's um uh morse he's the one of the survivors he's yeah. got a head bandage on um he's literally got a box full of vials that he's lifted from medbay <laughs> he's just getting wasted <laughs> so his 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 answer to the the world is ending is to just get wasted <laughs> i loved it <laughs> neat little detail oh and that actor as well morris uh danny webb he's he's kind of the comic relief um when 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 the alien reveals itself and takes the the superintendent um uh andrews away he he's got the funniest line in the film and it's not really a line it's it's the word fuck um but the alien comes down he takes andrews um up into the vent and they're all scattering it's um this version's equivalent of um william uh william hurt's chest burster sequence um and he's on the ground and he just sort of screams to camera fuck (laughs) (laughs) it's it's so good (laughs) there's quite a long pause before he does it as well probably give it a bit too much then nothing (laughs) no one else says anything and everybody's silent and then this huge explosion oh fuck (laughs) 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 it's so good (laughs) i had to wind it back and watch it again (laughs) yeah and oddly we, we how how are we doing for time i'm pretty sure we're going to run late uh, on this, this one. This, oh, we're at an this, hour this could, be, so, a, this could um, be a long one this could be a long one so we we get we get past so the the alien is freed and it's about this point we find out that ripley is impregnated she's i thought you were going to say it's about this point that thing the wheels start to really fall off it's about it, and it's true the wheels really do start to fall off so Wayland Utani, the corporation, um, it's let known that they are um, arriving imminently. They've found some way to get there faster than they were going to be there before. Ellen um, has uh, told them that they're going to just, they've captured the alien and um, they're going to destroy it. And the communication back from Wayland Utani is don't do shit. Uh, we're going to sort it all out. Um, sit tight. The cavalry's coming. Yeah. 
Um, and so she recognizes that they don't give a fuck about the prisoners, her, or anything else. All they want is the alien for their bioweapons division. Um, and so that she recognizes that they have to destroy it because if they get their hands on it, they're going to do nothing but bad with yeah. it. It's going to destroy everything. Um, but also at about this point, she recognizes that she is infected um, and that she is going to die. And so now the film switches from having resolved its issue, even though now the alien is running loose again. Um, and the, 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 the rest of the film then becomes about killing the alien without any weapons. She also has to decide what she's going to do with herself. And she tries to convince Dylan to kill her mm. because Dylan uh, tells her straight up that he was a raper and murderer of women. So Ellen goes, well, you've done it before. Just do it again. And he's not having a bar of it and promises her that once they've killed the, the alien, because he recognizes that it won't kill her. So she's a weapon that can be used against it. Yeah then I'll kill you, but not before. That's basically the, the last act of the film is them trying to lure, again, lure the alien into a particular place where they can drown it in molten lead. And that's the rest of the film. This idea that they're going to use this piston to push it into a, a, a mold mm. of some description, and that's, that's in it. A, so in, a, in, a, in addition to um, having that scene between Ripley and Dylan, they also... So they... they decide they're going to kill it and then they have to go and convince the rest of the crew and i think combined those two are the, the worst two scenes in the movie um they're really mm. really overblown and talky 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 uh so uh yeah dylan goes uh so everybody is every, all of the rest of the survivors are all they've all gone to the furnace where it's hot they've figured out that if the alien doesn't like fire it's probably not going to like it where things where it's hot so they all go to the furnace and then Dylan, Dylan and Ripley go and find them in the furnace. And Dylan gives this big speech. So they're all, they're all up for just waiting it out. They, they think, they think, yeah, there's, you know, this place, this place isn't secure, but we can see the doors um, and we can hopefully, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, it'll only, maybe it'll only get one or two of us in the time it takes all the rest of us to scatter. And then that'll buy us a bit more time as essentially, essentially the, the approach they're taking. Uh, and Dylan comes in and says, he, he gives them a big inspirational, a big Braveheart speech um, and convinces them all to, to, that they've got to come out, they've got to step out and fight this thing. And, and again, I guess they're, they're trying to tie it to the theme where, where this, is, this is evil and they're trying to overcome this evil. This is a devil and they're trying to be, um, you know, they're trying to be weapons of God and destroy, destroy mm. it um, uh, and, and do, the, do the righteous thing. Um, which mm. a it doesn't quite hold true because the aliens aliens not evil the villain is the corporation the aliens just doing yeah. its thing aliens just a, doing what a, it does you can't you don't blame the alien any more than you 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 blame a you know a, a bear for eating a fish um, or shitting in the woods <laughs> <laughs> um, no but it's like don't yell at the dog for howling at the yeah. moon dogs howl at the moon. Um, and and don't don't yell at the great white shark for taking a bite out of the surfer. Great white shark is doing what yeah. great white shark does: eat and, surfer. And also, and their their plan is actually pretty good. If I was them, I yeah. would be sitting. That's that's yeah, yeah, by absolutely. Far their best 
<laughs> their best, we their know best we know that the marines are coming yeah. we've got two hours we've just got to hold tight for two hours i mean at this point go lock yourself in that steel room um with the door vaguely half closed so you can see what's coming down the hallway and just wait for the wait for the cavalry yeah. to turn up oh by the way we're in we're in the toxic waste dump yeah they, like, they come and get us there they really and maybe maybe there's a way to tie these things together where you guys you guys have been shit on all your lives this is a corporation that's going to come and shit on you again. You've got a chance to, you've got a chance to get there first. I think that's what they're going for, but they don't really connect it. It's 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 really overblown. It's about five minutes longer than it needs to be, and they have because they haven't they haven't put in the work earlier on to draw the draw the connections in the script. And, yeah, and I think that was the last minute yeah, thing. They come, they come in and Dylan's got this big speech. I don't recall if it's in the original cut. No, it can't. But it can't. Uh, no, I think it, it is. is. No, it, it must be because yeah. they still do this. It is. They still deliver the same plan. Yeah, it's, the, they execute the, the same cut, plan, which is yeah. which is the 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 chasey, chasey, chasing and shutting the doors. Yeah, chasing and shutting the doors to get it to go down a certain path. Yeah. And and what they do in the original one falls apart when it all blows up um, when the when the flare is dropped because the alien gets somebody in one of the stairwells and the yeah. flare sets everything on fire. Um, yeah, and then so that that works. Um, Dylan sacrifices himself to keep the alien at the bottom yep. of the the, the lead mold. Um, the alien jumps up, is superheated. Um, they turn on the the water. the The alien uh, rapidly contracts from being overly heated and, and explodes. I, um, I love that, by the way. It's so cool the way they 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 foreshadow that with the bucket. With the cracking, bucket. that's a yeah. that's a really nice touch. I love I love that, that was a really good touch. Something that looks like it's just there for atmosphere at the time, or as a little. But it's just as, as sell a little that idea. Ding, end of scene. Move on to the next one. When that gets when that gets called yeah. back, it's so yeah. good. Wow, beautiful. I thought of when I saw when I saw that, I was like, oh, it's Chekhov's bucket. <laughs> so. um so that was really good and then uh, the corporation turns up um they immediately prove to be as ruthless as you'd expect they're all dressed up like extras um from a a david fincher music video circa 1991 surprise surprise they've got the human bishop with them or we presume as the human bishop to to try and give ripley a a friendly face they tell her that they're going to remove the alien from her Mm. and she can live her life and they're going to destroy it Um, but rapidly he gives the game away and says well actually no we're going to use it as you know all the things we can learn and then we get the climactic shot of the film which is a ripley sacrificing herself to kill the alien Mm. that's inside her it's movie over role yeah it's very i I can see why they i I don't know if this this must have come out just after terminator 2 right and it's it's yeah really the the uh the similarities with the ending of Terminator 2 where they've over they've overcome the immediate danger but to to properly win the hero must throw themselves must must sacrifice themselves by um uh throwing themselves into a a burning pit um, yeah self self-immolation yeah, is yeah we're big on self-immolation in the 90s apparently yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, the the way that the the ending for Terminator Two and Alien Three are are very similar because in Terminator Two, uh, the 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 bad guy, the the liquid metal Terminator T One Thousand, is um, both frozen and melted. And then in Alien Three, the uh, melted the alien cooled. is melted and then cooled. So, yeah, mm. I can't say that that film didn't influence the other. Mm. So. 
we've we've gone we've gone really long on this, so we may as well carry on. Um, how do we fix it? I've got some ideas. Hit us. Okay, so I reckon um, one, don't kill mutant hex. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they need to be a part of the film, but I don't see any reason why they have to die in the universe because that completely negates all of the hardship of the second film. Like as a story run through, like they're not, I guess they don't have to all tie together like a Marvel cinematic universe, but at the same time, all of that hardship. I, I think, I think you're right. She can be separated from them and it can be the alien's fault. She can be bitter at the alien and hate the alien for doing that without Hicks and Newt having to die. I agree. I think that's that would be that can be equally narratively yeah. without without carrying that, that carrying that in as the, the opening the opening taste of what you're going to experience in this movie is oh, those those characters that you love, yeah, dead. Dead. Um, there's a, a sequel that was floated around by um, Neil Blomkamp of District 13 fame where he proposed to ignore the events of all the subsequent films and he wrote a direct sequel to um, Aliens which would star Sigourney Weaver and Michael Biehn. Stop it. Um, no, it's true. <laughs> um, and it got as far as got as far as production ideas and the sketches of what they were hoping to do and you can see that there's a, a Hicks with a, a scarred face um from the acid burn he got mm. um and apparently um of course michael Bean was super super keen because his career hasn't really done a lot since but even sigourney weaver was keen to get on board um and it was almost going to go through to actual filmmaking until ridley scott came along and was like oh actually i want to do alien covenant which is not really uh, a prequel but it's not really a sequel yeah. but we don't really know what it is it's just alien covenant yeah. it doesn't it doesn't even feature the alien as you understand it so that that's the first thing you do secondly um i love the idea that the the bad the villain isn't the alien the villain is wayland utani the yeah. corporation i love that idea and what i would love to have seen instead is um the prisoners once they work out just how fucked up the 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 corporation is that's the that's the, the driving factor for them to then want to kill the alien they yeah. don't care it's not their problem um they just want to go home this is going to get them off this planet and then all of a sudden, their want for freedom is dwarfed by yeah. their hate for Wayland yes, Utani. Yes, exactly. They're on the corporation board. is the haves; they are the have-nots. Whatever, whatever disadvantages that you had in your life that caused you to become a, uh, a rapist or a murderer or whatever you did that got you in here, the corporation is the embodiment of that. Yeah, and now you've got an opportunity to stick it to them, and you take yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah so yeah 100%. on the one hand you're offered an open door and on the other hand you're offered a chance to spit in the yeah. eye of of your oppressor and they take spit in the yeah. eye i more i think about it the more i think i think clemens and clemens and dylan should be the same person yeah i agree um not that i think that ripley needs a boyfriend you can still sacrifice him at the yep. end but you're only just getting to grips with clemens as a character and he dies. Yeah. And I, I like that bold filmmaking where it's like uh, that that says really early on, here is a here is a leading man or a leading character. And we're happy to kill him off at the at, at barely the halfway mark. Yeah. No one's safe. Look out, world. Your favorite character can and will die in this film. And I like that. That's great. Uh, I wish more films were that bold. Yeah. 
I wish more film franchises were that bold. Imagine if in Star Wars, you know, Han Solo died in Empire Strikes Back. That's bold. Why, why wouldn't you do that? Do that. Um, and then third, the part of this film that I like is the, the race against time element. I think um, if you move it around a little bit, you keep Clemens, you make Clemens and Dylan, we'll call them Clillen. Demons. <laughs> or, or Demons. Uh, let's go demons let's go with demons you make demons um not die um and then you combine the fire and the the um the lead dousing running sequences into one action sequence Mm. so that's your climax Mm. in the third act so you you have all of that build up um you find out that ellen is infected um you find out that um, it's all going to shit and that the corporation is coming and they're going to take um, Alan and they're going to take the alien or whatever. And then, um, and then you get all the prisoners on board and they're going to sacrifice, they're going to sacrifice everything that they've done. Um, and they're going to, they're going to ship them all, ship the alien off. And it's going to be just death and destruction all over mm. the place. And then you make that action sequence where they're, they're getting the alien to run, do the bull run, the running of the bulls, and um and it's this race against time because the the corporation is turning up Wayland dutani is turning up and they've got to get this done before they show and then it's this race mm. against the clock to to undo everything i think before that i think terminator terminator 2 is a pretty good analogy for for that uh a pretty good a pretty good equivalent for that in the way that that deals with its second act where you you have that element of um uh sarah um going going back and part of their mission in the part of their mission in this in the final and the climactic sequence of that movie is destroying the records at um cyberdyne's systems Cyberdyne. but from there everything is driven by plot everything they just they it never lets go no one ever has to stop and say is this thing what that we're doing right they are just plot just drives everything this has happened now we need to do this this has happened now we need to do this this relentless monster that is chasing us everything that happens and they wind up in so many different places goes from place to place to place and the the dynamic changes but it's it's always happening at pace and it's always yep. tense and there's, there's never a, there's never a moment to stop and make, stop and think about it never lets never up. A moment to stop and think about what you're going to do stop and think about oh, what should, yep. what should we do we've got two hours to make this decision what are we going to do um it's just yep. it's, it's it's always at you yeah i mean like going back to terminator 2 again it's a james cameron film i think this is what james cameron does really really well is he understands the relationship of pace and action and he and he gets that driving feel and if you look at his films like even titanic a film that doesn't make sense as an action movie works as an action movie because he's always the the foot's on the gas the entire time it never lets up every time you think your heroes are out of the water he finds a reason for them to be back in the water um and he doesn't let up and i think that's kind of what this film lacks a little bit i think fox this maybe comes back to the studio interference again the kind of film that David Fincher wanted to make was this uh, this metatextual uh, navel gazing film about the nature of good and evil, um, medieval religion, all meshed together in some science fiction wonderland. Fox wanted an action film. They wanted they needed a hit. They needed money in the bank. And it, this movie was 
a modest domestic hit but internationally it was a big hit it was mm. one of the biggest films of 1992 um aladdin interestingly enough was the biggest hit of 1992 right. if you wanted to make this an action film you can still have all of that metatextual stuff you can still have that religion element which i didn't hate i i, I kind of liked the monks in space idea yeah. you can still have all of that but instead of this contemplative thing where you're not really sure why any of them are doing it give them a reason to do it that and yeah. the obvious choice is the company yeah. have them hate the company what's wrong with that they're all so resigned to waiting to get rescued and and like you said earlier that's the safe option yeah. that's what you and maybe do. this and yeah, yeah. maybe this, i guess to a degree this is the difference between a first-time director and james cameron where terminator 2 manages to deal with complex themes uh about destiny um Mm. while at the same time fate while at the same time <laughs> destiny and bringing, fate bringing yep. that uh bringing that amazing action and that amazing that crisis to crisis to crisis and never never letting you go never letting up and that's what this movie tries well this movie tries to do that um but it probably i, th- I think it sacrifices too much story in favor of in favor mm. of the theme yeah maybe maybe um maybe maybe it's just too much to expect of david fincher i'd big ask I can't think of an action film that David Fincher is yeah has directed. I think I think you and I are talking about an action movie rather than than something that has yeah you no, know, really no, strong if theme. You, you wouldn't give this movie to David Fincher tomorrow. You you wouldn't think you know no. you know who really needs to be at the helm of of this next big sci-fi action blockbuster. David Fincher. David Fincher. Yeah, no, you don't. Dare I say it? You say Michael Bay, and I I feel oh, dirty for having said it. Yeah. <laughs> but Michael Bay is is similar. I mean, as much as I can make fun of Michael Bay, Michael Bay visually, when it comes to telling an action story, so long as he isn't allowed to go too nuts, he tells a compelling action story. I mean, you think about I want to say The Rock, but I don't actually think that was Michael Bay. I think I think The Rock was Michael Bay. Um but no, Armageddon uh, is, but I don't think The Rock is. Armageddon that is that is a hot garbage film like that is a garbage garbage movie um but is it a compelling action film fuck yes um i'm pretty sure the rock is michael bay pretty sure could be wrong one moment please listener one moment please caller um it is michael bay i was right um uh the rock is again hot garbage film um but is it a compelling action movie? Fuck yeah. That movie doesn't let up. And does it tell a compelling action story? Fuck yeah. I don't know why we're talking about Michael Bay directly. And actually, and, um, and, but... and I'll, I'll put, in a, put in a word for The Rock as well. It's not entirely without its um, without its, its thematic value <laughs> as well. And in, in that the questions it asks about like uh, um, war and like treatment of treatment of people who fight wars and how you know people being willing being prepared to give their lives um but not be not be rewarded yeah there's a there's an odd undercurrent there with that ed um ed harris character and how he just wants he, he wants the veterans to be and the boys coming home to be treated better and it's like yeah okay that's something we could all get yeah. behind <laughs> i'm down with that yeah yeah also it has sean connery talking about fucking the prom queen and that's just amazing <laughs> um what else have we got on alien 3 or are we done oh god we could talk about alien 3 all day i think um alien 3 
It was meant to be the series ender, but they they came back with Sigourney Weaver for a fourth one, and that movie is is a dumpster fire. Alien Resurrection. That is a weird, weird movie. Yeah, I think we've said everything we can say about yeah. Alien Three. Uh, don't don't kill Newton Hex. Um, if you're going to give the prisoners a reason to to stay or to fight the alien, make it Wayland Utani. Give it a big action yeah. set piece finish that isn't a rehash of one that you tried earlier in the film and failed at, and let David Fincher do David Fincher. You know, just last 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 point on that piece about the reason. I wonder if it's not actually that that's not. Um it's not good that scene or if it's just it's just too late in the movie and it stops the pace dead it happens so it's it's 100 about 115 minutes into the movie right um so it's 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 it comes as they're swinging into the final the final climax but i almost wonder if that speech needs to come that's that needs to happen like you say you talked about merging those two those two sequences into the one where it's the fire and then going to the furnace. I actually think you're right. If the speech comes before that, like around the around yep. your midpoint, and then everyone's yep. on board, and then the second act, you just deliver. The whole, the, not the second yep. act, the second half, you just deliver. There, you give them the reason halfway through the film. Second half, you just deliver. You don't stop. You don't stop 100, 115 fucking minutes through the movie. Yeah. Um, I'm tired. I need to go to the toilet. arousing speech. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and it's a long. I mean, the the assembly cut's like two and a half hours long. Yeah. It's it's a yeah. long movie. It's, um, it's yeah, I think you merge those scenes together. You cut out a bit of that. Boom! You've got a film that makes a lot more th- makes a, a, a lot more sense. Yeah. Or it certainly makes it an action movie more than it is. Um, because it is an action movie. It's sci fi action. But so are we are we calling this verging on greatness? I mean, it's not mediocre. No, it's. There's a lot going on in this film. I mean, the cast, the performances, the shooting, cinematography, editing, even just even just the, great just themes. the ambition. I, I I give it I give it verging on greatness just for for trying. I, I agree on on ambition alone. This movie gets verging on greatness. It was doing something different. Yeah. And let's be honest, you could have come out of Aliens and you could have just done. The same thing again. Yeah. You could have gone um, Space Marines, Queen Alien, and I think some of the early scripts had that in it, where it was um, Aliens on Earth, and it was this yeah. time it's War on Earth. And in fact, I think some of the early marketing for this film was Aliens on yeah. Earth. I mean, that's the logical place you take it next. I read that. Um, I read that it was then, either Aliens or on Earth, or it is Ripley going to the alien planet. Right, um, which is kind of what Alien Covenant and Alien, um, whatever the, the the sequel to Alien Covenant is. That's effectively what those films mm. are. Um, and then, or 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 you take it in a wildly different way, which is what this film did. Is like, okay, we had lots of aliens, and they were they were not so. Pa- I remember be, I remember this film being described to me by a kid in, at school, and he was like, "It's almost in the second one, the aliens aren't very powerful." Because when compared with Marines, with, with pulse rifles, mm. they don't really stand a chance. And it's just their overwhelming numbers that get them. But in this film, it's like the alien is too powerful. And it's only because of overwhelming numbers and self-sacrifice that you defeat the alien. Um, and that stuck with me. That, and that's still something that I think about every time I watch this film now. It's like, this alien is overpowered. But I guess when you're going toe-to-toe to it without your guns, that's what you get. Um, 
there's other ways that this film could have gone. I like the idea of it going to a, a Western planet. And so you have this this cowboy Western in space with aliens in place of Indians. And um, you have this homestead style standoff at the end of the film where people are shooting out the window with, <laughs> with old boar rifles at aliens. Like that sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Like, you know, why let's do that film, um, which um, I guess they kind of do later with cowboys and aliens, which is a terrible film. Um, but yeah, I think for ambition for not doing aliens again yeah. um, and for being visually distinct and um wildly different from what came before it yeah this film tried something different yeah did it work no not really yeah but i don't think we should be hating on it because it didn't do aliens yeah, it's, in, it's in really it's in really tough company again okay, if you only compare it to alien and aliens which are which are both both near perfect movies yeah uh, I'll, I'll th- i think i should i think i should go on the record for saying that I don't like Alien that much. <laughs> I like, to- I know, I like talking about it and I like thinking about it. And this is the same problem I have with Blade Runner, but I don't like watching mm. it. Whenever I watch it, I'm like, yeah, it's, I guess it's cool and different, but I'm not engaged. Mm. But maybe I just kind of film I like. I definitely prefer the James Cameron sequel to the original, but. You're an action guy at heart. I'm an action guy at heart. I, and I think when it comes down to it, <laughs> The biggest problem with this film is what I said at the top of the top of the episode. The biggest problem with this film is aliens. Mm. It's very hard to follow that mm. that film. There, there must be a there must be an online survey out there. Which alien movie are you? Yeah, I'm definitely aliens. aliens. <laughs> James Cameron all the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think yeah, I'll call it. We'll call it verging on greatness yep. with a big asterisk. Yep. Yeah. Well, there you go. Okay. We 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 called it. We've solved the solved internet. It. We've fixed this film. Just stop talking about it. So we're going to wrap up. We're going to be back again uh, in a few weeks. I don't know what we're going to do yet. We will choose something from our extensive list. If you've got any suggestions, any ideas, hit us up on Twitter or on Facebook. Twitter, Facebook, or in the comments down below. I mean, we, we post this first on SoundCloud and then it goes out to the Spotify's and the Apple Music or the Apple Podcast. Um but I don't really follow those so closely. So if you want to chat back with us, do it on SoundCloud uh, or hit us up on uh, Twitter. Um, occasionally we get we get hits on Twitter. Not very often. Mostly on Facebook. But yeah, well, I guess we'll we'll see you next time. Cool. I guess that's an episode. That's a so. <laughs> bye, Greg. Yeah. All right. Bye, Mike. <laughs> <laughs>